0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Emma Carey, Postdoctoral Research Fellow at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine and recent recipient of two Society of Toxicology Awards this year, the Women in Toxicology Specialty Interest Group Postdoctoral Fellow Achievement Award and the Regulatory and Safety Evaluation Section Award for Postdoctoral Excellence. Dr. Carey recently joined us for a webinar challenging the idea that the endpoints used to evaluate the health risks of smoking cigarettes are suitable to study the effects of vaping. Let's get right into it. Emma, can you go into a bit more detail about what information SDNN provides that SDANN and RMSSD do not? And so I think that we can go back to, looks like, slide 29.
1: Sure. Oh, you gonna sphere. jump there. There you go. Yeah. So essentially, they're all telling you about heart rate variability broadly. But as you can see on the bottom, I have sort of the vagal and sympathetic, which is isolated and intermediate. That's all encompassed in the overall, as well as other things like humoral factors and hormones and, and age. All of those things are going to sort of affect that overall variability. In those, and we know that variability tends to reduce over time and with age and with diseases. But it's it's really muddy when you look at that overall, which is why it's not the best indication of what's going on at like sort of a true autonomic isolated level, which is why we look at different timeframes to try and understand which components might be impacted. And I will say that while it is a clinically validated risk factor that we don't, I don't think have an appreciation for how much heart rate variability has to diminish in order for it to become pathologically relevant. We just know that in people, when they monitor them over time, that when we see a reduction in that same person, we know that that tends to be associated with worsened outcomes. So it's not understood as far as like exactly the threshold that's needed to be changed in order to see a difference, but it is helpful in terms of tracking one's own sort of health from a cardiovascular regulatory or regulation perspective.
0: Awesome. Great answer. Interesting question here from Ginny who's asked for air quality data. For example, in in New York City, where lots of the population lives in multi unit dwellings, there could be third hand smoke residue. So have you assessed neighbors smoking habits? Or have you do you know of any data that might look at this?
1: That's a great question. We're actually working on some studies now trying to look at that specifically, like trying to assess exposures in hallways, for example. Again, it's really hard to pinpoint the exact source of that because, you know, we don't know the relative contribution from one unit to another. In addition, we, you know, a lot of New York City has banned smoking indoors. It doesn't mean people don't do it, obviously, but it is sort of discouraged. And so people tend to do them near windows. Um, That was our experience in our homes, at least, is that people tended to use these products closer to the windows. And so it's a great question and it should be studied more, but currently we don't have the data.
0: Right. Makes sense. Another question here. Did you use a nasal swab to get the cytokine concentration? So I think that would be talking about this slide here, the study.
1: Yeah. So we use leukazorb strips and actually Alona Jasper's lab at UNC um, are the group that really perfected this and we work with them to generate and get these materials. But essentially it's a they've optimized this. It's a way to get nasal information in the field and actually is a very stable way to get it. I think they're trying to optimize it for use in like a field scenario. So it's just a leukosorb strip that you can buy. We cut it up and then we basically clamp the nose for two minutes to make sure that both sides of the nose are touching the strip. And then we extract the proteins from that and run those.
0: All right, great. Rosendo has asked, the fact that vaping increases nasal inflammation compared to cigarettes, has anyone found an association between sinus or nasal polyposis and vaping?
1: Great question. I That's kind of my uh, where I'd like to go with this next, is trying to understand if there are actually pathological sort of upper respiratory outcomes associated with these inflammation. We see a lot of the same cytokines elevated in our vapors that are elevated in patients with chronic rhinosinusitis, which you know is just defined by uh, sustained upper respiratory and nasal inflammation. But again, the etiology of CRS isn't really known. And we don't particularly know if this is a way to make someone have CRS or if it really sort of exacerbates that or not. But great question. And again, these data are coming out in April in uh, the ATS Red Journal. And so, you know, hopefully this will spur some people to maybe look more closely at the upper respiratory effects in these users.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just advancing in the slides just a bit here. But yeah, looking at these, I mean, it's clear that there's some things that are going on in in vaping that just you don't see in smoking. And so it's going to be really interesting to see where the research goes. Because yeah, like nasal polyposis, these are things that we don't see in smoking. And so yeah, research that really has to be done.
1: And I will just add that we also looked, I didn't present any of the hookah data, but we did look at hookah users as well um, in a similar context. And hookah smokers are remarkably similar to vapors in terms of the nasal inflammation. So again, a lot of nasal inflammation in hookah smokers, not much going on in cigarettes, which was surprising to me because I sort of expected that tobacco products would bias together. And again, we found similar increases in nasal exhalation in those hookah smokers as well. And so again, it suggests that maybe how they're using is affecting different tissues and therefore leading to different outcomes. And, and so I think that there's quite a bit that we can be doing in the future about that.
0: Mm, interesting. Guido has asked if you're aware of any correlation between vaping and allergy.
1: Another great question. Um, unfortunately, when we were doing these home visits, this wasn't something we thought was going to be interesting. And so we just sort of like happened to, to look at nasal inflammation compared to saliva. And we saw it more in the nose than in saliva, which was not what we expected initially. So certainly we are doing more nasal swabs now, and we are asking much more about their allergy status. And we're also asking if they're on allergy medication or, you know, sort of antihistamines and things like that. And we're, these are longitudinal studies that we're now conducting. So we're trying to see if these change are time. So hopefully we can actually correlate that back to um, changes in allergies and, and seasonality and things like
0: that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.